Hello, Mojo Record Club listeners. Um, in today's episode, there are numerous and frequent references to recreational drug use. We should point out that we don't condone any of this, and they're in there for purely historical storytelling purposes. Hello, I'm Andrew Mayle, and you're listening to the Mojo Record Club, a place where music lovers, musicians, crate diggers, writers, readers, and special guests get to share their love for classic albums, weird lost gems, and brand new revelations. My guests today are Stuart Braithwaite and Mojo Associate Editor Jenny Bully. Hello, gang. Hi. Hi, uh, how are you all doing? Very good, very good. Stuart, where am I speaking to you from? I am at my home in the surprisingly sunny city of Glasgow. Fantastic. And Jenny, where are you speaking from? I'm also at home in the not-so-sunny suburbs of South London. Um, and can I just point out that if you can hear a strange squeaking noise, that's, our, that's my pet rabbits. They grind their teeth and make noises, and they've decided that today is the day they're going to sit here conjuring think... up a psychedelic storm. I think listeners will discover that that is an incredibly appropriate presence and sound for the record <laughs> for the record that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, they're disturbing my reality, Andrew. <laughs> very good, very good. Now, Stuart, you are perhaps best known as the guitarist and composer with Glasgow-based post-rockers Mogwai. Mogwai are responsible for such colossal, atmospheric and emotional releases as 1999's Come On, Die Young, 2003's Happy Songs for Happy People, and most recently, 2021's As Love Continues. Richie Sacramento, written by Mogwai and released on Temporary Residence Rock Action in 2021, is a perfect illustration of the group at their most euphoric, romantic, and cinematic. Also, since 2006, Mogwai have made a name for themselves as in-demand film composers, working on everything from Douglas Gordon's arthouse football dog Zidane to, most recently, the brooding, unnerving score for one of my favourite TV shows of the year, Mikhail Roskam's riveting true crime drama, Blackbird. And now, he's written his own magnificent rock and roll memoir, Spaceships Over Glasgow. Stuart, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for the, the big intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you deserve the big intro. I feel all proud. You're listening to the Mojo Record Club with me, Stuart Brinkley, and the Rabbits. Now, before we mention the record that you've brought in to discuss today, we need to talk about this book of yours. It's quite accurately subtitled Mogwai, Mayhem and Misspent Youth. But am I right in thinking that it began as, it kind of initially began as a book about the key gigs in your life, but kind of evolved into something more than that yeah my, my original plan was i basically had a list of gigs and i was going to write a chapter about each gig and everything that happened and how great the gig was and i quite quickly realized that some of my favorite gigs of all time i could remember almost nothing about other than <laughs> that they were very good so um i kind of i, I kind of realized as well that the, the best stuff happens the best stuff to write about happens before the gigs and after the gigs and the gigs kind of became a kind of prop 
rather than the the sole focus of the book. So yeah, it evolved quite a bit as I was as I was writing it. So it sounds a bit like did you approach it like you would make a record? Did you you know you demoed some ideas and then you moved on or you built on them or no I, I approached it more like writing a set list to be honest. If, if okay. there was a, if there was a comparison like I had the start and the end and then kind of made sure it wasn't too boring in the middle. <laughs> so you had, you had the bit... spoiler alert is how bands write set lists. <laughs> so you had the bits that you knew that you had to play or had to mention and then you could kind of go oh in this in this bit I can have a bit of I can have a bit of fun we can play around with some ideas here. Pretty much. And also because I'd never written anything before it was it was it was all new so I kind of I, I, and I had a few people helping me out, just giving me advice and and pointers and stuff like that. So I, I kind of quite quickly worked out what worked and what didn't. And there's a few things about the book. I didn't want it to be overly serious or kind of, I don't know. One thing I've really noticed in especially music memoirs is people kind of using them as a, as, as a way of kind of, I don't know, sort of getting grudges out in the public or that, that kind of thing and I really didn't I didn't want it to, to be like that so I kind of had had some things in, in my mind and um yeah it was it was it was a lot of fun you said about getting people to help you out because I mean a common thread through the book is your honest and heroic consumption of of, of booze and drugs and but you know obviously the other thing about the book is it, it's incredibly vivid recall of landmark moments in your life and landmark yeah. gigs I mean, you read it and you think, hang on, doesn't one affect the other here? How were you able to remember all this stuff? Did you have kind of people coming in to help you? Did you were you a person who kept diaries? I mean, no. how, how were you able to kind of access those memories given that, you know, my experience... I was drunk all the time. <laughs> exactly. My experience of, of booze and drugs is that they, the one thing that they tend to affect is your memory. Handily, I'm still pretty good friends with, almost everyone who was there at all of these points. Yeah. So I, I just really kind of grilled my bandmates and my friends and my ex-girlfriends and my sister and just people I used to go to gigs with and just ask them just for what they could remember. Once you ask for three or four people, you kind of build up a, a more vivid picture because my, my memory is not that great. But, but talking to people about things helps you remember. So it's kind of almost... Almost like you're a detective kind of piecing together yeah. this this kind of mystery, but the mystery is you. You're kind of thinking, and where, where was I on the night of the 14th? That kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, and talk, going back to the thing about the unsuccessful thing about the, the gigs, there was some of them I literally couldn't, I could remember how great the gig was and I couldn't even remember who was there and, and, or who I went with. And I, I went to a lot of gigs with my big sister, which you people reading the book will, will know and I'd ask my sister and she'd just be like I have not got a clue and she'd be like oh did, did I not go and see them in Edinburgh I was like no you didn't it was in Glasgow blah 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 so yeah, yeah it was it, it, it was a, a voyage of discovery on many levels that's an eyewitness testimony it's unreliable isn't it no doubt yeah but I mean it, it's quite surprising because people do remember things very very differently and I'm sure mm. quite a few people I know are probably reading my book right now and going What's he on about? That wasn't what <laughs> happened. But I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's many, many different sides to everything, isn't there? <laughs> Your sister has a really heroic role, doesn't she? Especially early on. Yeah. Um, 
taking you out in her car and lending her records. And, and my favourite was her suggestion that you pretend to be a girl because you're not old enough to get into Barrowlands. Yes, <laughs> yeah. That's a great bit of logic. Have you paid her back over the years? Have you introduced her to Robert Smith and, you know, that kind of thing? Right. I don't know if she's met Robert Smith, but, yeah, I've, I've got her into a fair amount of gigs. Yeah, I, I probably, you know what, you're right. She, she's an absolute legend and I probably haven't quite quite got her back. Um but yeah, I think she's <laughs> she's she's been quite amused by the whole the whole the whole uh, episode. In a way, the, the the book is your act of paying her back because, as Jenny says, That's she becomes true. she becomes this heroic figure in 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 the telling of your your kind of life story, and you kind of come away with it, you know, with a really vivid sense of who she is and 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 her role in kind of you know giving you this kind of bedrock of kind of experience and knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. As well as like, and I'm and I'm so lucky too because of the the music she introduced me to. Because I, I know so many people who um, were listening to Brian Adams until they were seventeen. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Whereas, yeah, no, I'm saying that you know they say now, don't they, that the internet is everybody's big brother and sister. But you know, your sister drove you 400 miles to go to the <laughs> wedding festival. That's you know, you can't get that from the internet. The internet doesn't do that, no. And the thing is, there's there's no way that if you'd have kind of grown up listening to um, Brian Adams, that you'd have you'd have found your way to the record that you've you've brought in to talk about today, which is um, <laughs> Sleep's Dope Smoker. And then kind of the, the thing is that like normally at this point, I say what year it came out and what label it came out on. But obviously, with Sleep's Dope Smoker, that's kind of one of the the, the parts of the story that it was kind of an album that you know, was originally recorded in 1996 um, by this, you know, California doom stoner metal trio called Sleep um, for, for London Records. But then it has this long and tortuous route to coming out in what is kind of accepted as is the proper form, which is probably, I mean, the version that I was listening to for my research is the, the two, 2012 version on, on Southern Lord. But I suppose when did, when did you discover it and when we when were you introduced to the record Stuart I was introduced to it by a Canadian guy living in London I think his name's Kevin and at that point it was released as Jerusalem yeah and uh, it just blew our mind we were just like I remember because we were all really into Bardo Ponds through another pretty sludgy Mm -hmm. band and he was like, wait to hear this. This is like the next level. This is like Bardo Pond and Sabbath had a baby and just played a song and just <laughs> never stopped. And we were just so obsessed with it. And um, years later, actually, I got a bit of the backstory because um, I'm friends with Matt Sweeney, who obviously has made the, mm-hmm. made the, the records with Will Oldham and, and uh, Everyone, played on yeah. the Iggy the Pop record and... Yeah. and and was in Chavez or a great band, and yeah. he, I think he was the A and R guy, and he really for which for which, for which label on London Records on London Records ah because wow. that's that's really interesting because he basically the fact that he left London Records is the thing that kind of scuppered them because they lost this kind of guy who was fighting for them and was in their corner and as soon as I didn't realize it was Matt Sweeney that's absolutely fascinating. <laughs> Funny feeling, and again, going back to my memory, and this is probably me trying to recall a conversation that's at least a decade old, 
I think, I think maybe the record was one of the reasons that he that he left London Records. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think I recall a story of him getting someone to edit it together or like massively edit it down to being about five minutes long and presenting it as like their new single and not actually <laughs> telling them that the entire album was an hour long and one song. Yeah, we should we should probably stop and explain to people, and then we'll play a little bit of the track. We should probably stop and explain to people that, yeah, um, Dope Smoker, or what was originally released as Jerusalem, is an hour-long track. It is, I mean, kind of when they were testing it out live and heavily influenced by Dope Smoking, it was this track that became slower and weirder every time they played it. And I was trying to think of how you'd describe it. And it's kind of like this, I don't know, epic, Eastern-tinged riff chant incantation. And Jenny, we were talking just before you Mm -hmm. kind of came on, Jenny made a really good point. She said, it's one of those albums that's psychedelic, not in terms of how it affects your head, but in terms of how it affects you physically. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's pretty unique. It's it's very indebted to Sabbath, but it's almost mm. like they've taken the core element of Sabbath and just went. We are just not going to stop, and it's, <laughs> it, it, it's it's it has such a kind of warm, loud tone to it. Um, yeah, I, I really, really love it. And and the thing is as well, it's like people hearing us talk about it, they might think it's, it sounds boring and it really is the it's the least boring thing. As long as you've got an hour to spare, yeah. it's just, it's, it's absolutely captivating. And um, yeah, I love it. Why, I mean, why is it so captivating? Because what is it that, what is it, its effect on you while you're listening to it? I think it's I think I think it's very trance like. I think it's very immersive. Mm-hmm. And I mean kind of when you, when you, when you talk about the um inception of it, you kinda of, you know that they're true believers, do you know I mean that there's something very holy about the performance and about the mm-hmm. dedication. Because it, it it also must be and I'm putting my musician hat back on here. It must be really hard to play because it, it, it it's not just the one riff; it changes, and they all change at the same time. And some mm. of the passages last five, ten minutes long. I mean, it's kind of it's as as someone who's had quite a few long songs that are nowhere near as complicated as this. You, there's there's a fair bit of kind of nodding and memorizing involved, and yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an impressive feat as well as a as a very enjoyable one. As a musician, did did you ever get a sense that there was an improvised element to it? I guess I just assumed that there must have been, because it's so long. <laughs> I don't think there is. Wow. Okay. No, I don't. I, I may be wrong, but that's just my guess. I think mm. that because because they all change. Yeah. <laughs> very yeah, right. very exactly, unless it's just a nodding type thing, which I think <laughs> sun do. Um, I mean, there's a very, there's a sort of tonal similarity with Sun, even though Sun don't have drums. So, um, but yeah, I, I think they they just memorised how long the parts were. 
there was an interview with it might have been the guitarist Matt Pike or maybe the the, the bassist um, Al Cisneros, and he was saying that one of the reasons working on the track was so stressful and then the fact that it was delayed and coming out was so stressful was because it was so incredibly difficult for them to play yeah mm. i've no doubt although i was half expecting you to say because they were so stoned well <laughs> i think those two facts might come together i would imagine <laughs> that if you are that stoned where because there is um there's a philosophy behind the record isn't there Stuart? and it's kind of this it's something to do with kind of almost dope smoking as a religion and which is kind of yeah. why it's got these kind of eastern tones in it and it's kind of so there's an aspect of the record that where the, as you said earlier they're incredibly serious about this yeah 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 it's mm. not it's there's no nudge nudge about it it's 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 a very impassioned mm. sort of hymn to a lifestyle and to a a, a, a a culture and a way of making music you know and a way of a way of living really and yeah. um but also also as someone who really struggles with being even slightly stoned i i kind of the the thought of being really stoned playing a really complicated song that's definitely going to get rejected by your record label <laughs> it gives me all kinds of panic panicky feelings it's very um listening to it sort of in daylight for this podcast was quite weird i hadn't listened to it for a long time and i certainly hadn't listened to it in the morning you yeah. know <laughs> with, with maybe just a cup of coffee and uh, it, it struck me that I've never done the kind of spiritual gong bath thing but you know like sun do doom yoga I thought that's that's the kind of experience that you would get from it now perhaps at my age was that just digging the reverberations and as you say it's kind of spiritual it's serious I was um thinking about it because I was also I listened to it on a on a bright sunny Sunday morning as well and the weird thing about it is there's um the, the only thing I could kind of compare it to is the there's the composer Morton Feldman who wrote these kind of a game wrote these incredibly long kind of tonal droning pieces and when you put them on there's a real sense in which they they fill the room to the degree to which you feel like you're actually inside the piece. You don't feel like you're outside the music. You feel like you're inside it. I think that there's something about the sound of the the guitars, that kind of sort of Les Paul orange amps up full, probably big muff pedals it, it just it is very encapsulating you're totally right it, and, and you feel kind of I don't know like you're having some kind of massage of the soul or something like that it's <laughs> wonderful I think it would be a good time to stop and actually play a little bit of it now unlike a lot of the albums that we play on here where we kind of play the opening track ho 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 <laughs> there is obviously no opening track so um and how much then, of it can we have um, I think we can have about 30 seconds, Jen. Okay. Yeah. And then... Um, 30 seconds of Dope Smoker. That's great, isn't it? I know, isn't it fantastic? <laughs> which, is why, which is why I chose the middle of it. Because otherwise, <laughs> yeah. otherwise, it just... I mean, it's fantastic. I was tempted to play the start of it because there's that real sense on the record of, like, 
of it of it being a mechanical thing you have that yeah. sound at the start where it's like engines starting up mm. like they are starting some kind of giant <laughs> yeah. beast of a machine yeah. Yeah. exactly um I, I really want to hear matt sweeney's five minute edit now absolutely no, definitely is it on the internet <laughs> probably not mm. but i mean no. next time I... could you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Save us all some time. Why didn't we I have know, it last week? Exactly. Why didn't we just do that? Yeah, sort of dope oh, smoker reduced down to five minutes. But the clip that I've chosen is right in the center of the tracks at the 30 and a half minute point. But it's a fantastic point because you get the riff, you get the chant, and you get the sense in which this track is a kind of a complete immersive thing. That was the exact midpoint of Dope Smoker by Sleep. And the version you were listening to was the version from 2012 released on Southern Lord Records. You're listening to the Mojo Record Club. One of the things that I noticed about listening to it on a bright Sunday, as Jenny mentioned, is... And I think this is kind of appropriate for the record that it is. Listening to it out of context, it gave me the fear. Does it? Yeah. And I think, Stuart, that there is something about the record that has, when you're in the right mood for it, Mm. it's perfect. But if you're not in the right mood for it, it's like... It's a bit like having a panic attack. You you were kind of (laughs) saying you're not that good when you smoke dope. And there's yeah. something about the record that when you, if you're not in the right mood for it, if you're list, not listening to it in the right context, it has a power that's quite scary. Definitely, definitely. And, and one thing which I think I might probably mention when we're talking about some of the other records is that I am very choosy about what I listen to at certain times. And I, I, know, that, I know this record inside out, but I, I didn't listen to it again, probably because... Because I was, because I'm, yeah, on a train or or in sitting about or walking the dog, and this music to me, and it was actually um, probably a mutual friend of all of ours, Steve Gullick, who who told me that the best music to ever listen to on an airplane is Earth Two, and <laughs> and very much Dope Smoker for me is that kind of thing. It's it's on an airplane or just somewhere very constant and dark. And yeah, it's not having a cup of tea, and um, and 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 I quite like that. I like music that's very purposeful, and it's 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 ambient, but not in a relaxing way. <laughs> no. yeah. I think I might find maybe I'm more scared of flying than Steve Gullick is, but I think it would terrify me having <laughs> that kind of noise in the background. Um, I am reminded, Stuart, if you don't mind me saying that, you know, that you're very careful of when you smoke weed and what you listen to. I couldn't help thinking of some of the anecdotes in your book, uh, which you are very 
un, very uncareful, that's not a word, but you're not at all careful about the substances you've consumed. It reminded me of the, the anecdote in the book about Australia, you know, when you've accidentally taken LSD when you're going to see a Will Smith yeah. film. And then there you have a terrible episode in your hotel room where you realise that you are actually where they film The Matrix. And yeah. I can see how now you might be more careful with that sort of thing. Yeah, I've, I've had some, I've had some uh, traumatising events. <laughs> That's an amazing story. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of is. And it's, it's the kind of thing that, that the next day I even realised how funny it was. But yeah, to, to tell the story very quickly, I, I accidentally mm. found myself having a pretty extreme LSD trip in Australia and to calm myself down, watch The Matrix on TV because I knew it really well because I was it had just come out and I went to see it like three times or whatever. And I looked out the window as the scene where where the helicopter crashes into the building and the exact building was out of the window. At this point, my mind kind of collapsed inside itself. And uh, yeah, I just went and hid under the covers for about 20 hours. It's just I mean, what are the chances? I know it's terrifying, isn't it? And I think, yeah, it's like you you have to be very careful with these things. And um, one of the things I was thinking in terms of like you as a consumer of music, and I think you touched a little bit on this earlier. When you listen to Dope Smoker, are you hearing it as a consumer or a musician? Is there a part of you that's mm-hmm. thinking, how did how did they do that? How did they get that sound? How did how was that produced or do you just kind of switch that part of your brain off and just listen as a fan i try i try and switch that part of my brain off as much as possible um in fact it's one that i, I kind of feel sort sometimes we do a lot of film and tv stuff now and you'll talk mm-hmm. to the people about films and they'll notice things that i would never notice and i'm like so happy that i can still enjoy music just as a fan really hardly ever think about how it was made or unless it's so clever i'm like oh my god it's just like excited but i really i i just try and listen to music just as a piece of art as someone's expression just as something to enjoy because otherwise oh yeah that, that that would be that would be deathly dull but sometimes if some if something's played so well i'll i'll kind of take a step back and go oh my god that's amazing drumming or piano playing or guitar playing but I, I don't really try and analyze it too much because it, it, it's it, it's meant to be fun and as a soundtrack composer does it does it change how you watch telly and films are you is your ear much more trained on the sound it is a bit more yeah it is a bit more and there have there have been some some things that a lot of people have really loved and that the, the the bad music or the very lazy mm. music is just kind of grates on me a little bit. In fact, the entire decade of the 1990s had pretty much uh, <laughs> no good film scores made <laughs> at all. So, um, but yeah, I, 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 I do notice it more than I did because I'm trying mm. to analyse the stuff that we do as we go along. Do you think a film soundtrack can rescue a bad film? I think it can make it enjoyable, but if it's got a bad story and bad acting, I think mm. it's kind of doomed from the offset. <laughs> I think, I mean, I would say the opposite. A bad soundtrack can certainly make really affect badly affect a decent film. Yeah, I mean, even even I rewatched The Matrix not that long ago, having now kind of just recover from a trauma. 
the music for that just seems weird just sort of just by numbers sort of orchestral you know that thing they had in the 80s but particularly the 90s where if something scary was going to happen you just have like a million violins kind of yeah. telling you and you're like well i can see something scary is going to happen and maybe maybe, yeah. maybe that'll go the opposite way things are quite minimal now maybe people will be like oh my god those films in the 2020s were so boring and you don't know when anything's going to happen so I, I don't know i don't know i guess I, I guess it's just fashion and trends but it's interesting to, to, to as you get older i'm sure you both agree to kind of realize how how differently things seem out of context of when they were made yeah and um yeah, yeah I, find, I find that really quite interesting with music especially actually and and going mm. and going back to the thing about the soundtrack saving the film i i, I often find that with the records actually like it's almost like there'll be a record with not particularly great songs and they'll try to save it with production. It'll just be so overproduced, and you're thinking, "Yeah, just yeah. taking another couple of months and writing a few better songs." You can see exactly what happened there, can't you? You can see kind of how they just tried yeah. to bury the averageness under sort of yeah. expensive production. Um, another question I wanted to ask about um, Dope Smoker is: Has it influenced you or Mogwai in terms of the stuff that you've written? I was kind of a track I was thinking of was um, Mogwai's Batcat on 2008's Hawk is Howling, released on Matador Records and written by Mogwai, and thinking there's definitely a similarity there. I mean, it might be conscious, it might be subconscious. terms of the fact that you often are working in a kind of what people might describe as a similar area kind of where you're working with epic pieces instrumental guitar based and immersive and kind of trippy do you think it's a kind of an album that has influenced the mogwai sound in any I'm way i'm certain it has i'm certain it has and it's like it's um it's a record that i remember all of us listening to as well it wasn't just like I mean, Dominic liked that record. We were all listening to that like quite a lot on the bus, and yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it has kind of bled into some of what we do because everything does, you know. Yeah. Every, every, yeah. Everything that everything that you hear informs you. I'm, I'm, I'm so not a fan of the people that say they've no influences because I'm just thinking, <laughs> how, what makes you so bloody special? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Of course, you're, of course, you're influenced by music. That's the, that's how culture works that's how the world works we all hear things yeah. and we interpret it and we take bits of what we like and we chop out bits that we don't like and that's just how how everything is made so yeah i'm sure it has i was really grateful that you chose the record because going back to it the one thing that i kind of forgotten about which we've kind of touched on while we've been talking about it is its power and we had um we had warren ellis on an earlier um podcast on an earlier issue of the mojo record club and he was talking about alice coltrane and someone was saying to him well you know john coltrane's got his own church shouldn't alice have her own church and he was saying no the records are the church you know you put the record on and you're inside that space you're inside oh, yeah. that space of worship 
And I kind of immediately mm. thought of that when we were listening to Dope Smoke, that it's kind of, it's like some, it is some, they have created some weird church, haven't they? Some weird church to the, the art and the religion of um, dope smoking. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's a, a weird thing there. I actually can see a lot of similarities with Alice Coltrane's music too. Yeah. You know that it kind of it creates a world, and it's a kind of world that you inhabit while while you listen to it, and you're lucky to to be there. Yeah, you know, it's not just a it's not just a little sound in the corner, or like someone's sad songs. It's just so, it's something bigger than that. Yeah, mm. so that's great. Are we allowed to say transcendental? We are allowed to say transcendental. Yes, it is. It's kind of, I mean, there is, yeah, it's kind of, it's immersive, it's meditative and it kind of, and you said something earlier, Jenny, something about its effect on time and space. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Which as that's kind of what dope smoking does, isn't it? So I imagine if they were trying to reproduce the sort of psychic effects of being really stoned, then they did it really, really well because time is stretched and, you know, distorted. And it still is when you listen, you know, this is what we were saying, we are listening to it on Sunday morning with a cup of herbal tea. It still had the potential to just feel like it was playing for the whole day. It's very easy to do that thing where you say music is a drug and kind of, you know, and, and you could kind of go, go <laughs> back and, yeah, and you can go back and listen to, you know, psychedelic records that feel like they were, you know, they were trying to emulate, you know, the experience of taking LSD mm-hmm. and it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't work. It feels twee. It feels odd. And this is one of those records where it, you know, and I think that's kind of what we were saying about be careful about when you listen to it and how, because it has this, it still retains this power. Yeah, so it's very powerful. Be careful, yeah. kids, etc. Yeah. It should have a sticker on the front. It should. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a warning at the top of the podcast. So I'm gonna, yeah, put, yeah, I'm gonna right. put a content, a content drug warning at the top of the podcast, just so that people know what they're getting into. I know. I, did you know what? I was actually quite anxious about. Not anxious, but I wasn't sure I wanted to listen to it again. I yeah. was thinking, I don't know what connection I'm going to be able to make to this now at my age being you know sensible and old and all that stuff and actually it was really nice to find a new way to connect to things that were very much associated with you know drug taking and darkness and you know yeah. it's really uh, it's really good to realize you don't have to abandon those things that mm. were important to you in your 20s now that you're you know not and it's, you know, it's good coming, you know, sometimes you can go back and listen to stuff that you listened to during those days of hedonism and you think, oh, no, it was, you know, it was, the, it was, it was my age. It was the drugs. It was the booze. The record has nothing left in it. And this is the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, I had, I went through a lot of that with the book because I, I wanted to listen to music that I was into at the time of, of, that I was writing about and it, it was almost a win-win either the records still were amazing or they reminded me of an amazing time and I, I probably could take a bit of a step back and go well you know what that, that I just liked I just liked A because I'd never heard of B and C at this point yeah but it, it still I still really loved it because it kind of it's almost a time machine as well it kind of it transports you so vividly back to when you yeah. first heard it or when you were really really into it 
Yeah, is- completely. So it's such an evocative thing. And I think one of the nice things about the book, Stuart, is that when, like Andrew mentioned earlier, though it is a sort of litany of, sort of rock and roll stories about, you know, losing your mind. But your perspective now is not celebratory, you know, there's no kind of uh, Motley Crue element of looking back at the wild times we had, you know, it's a, it's a very funny book, but it's also got this perspective of somebody who realizes that occasionally the chaos brought you to the brink. Yeah. Yeah. I I would certainly not, I I wouldn't see it as a guidebook of any kind. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Stuart Wrigley and you're listening to the Mojo Record That's perfect. I think that's a, that's a nice note to to move on and maybe to talk about this week's new music. The the first album um, that we sent you, Stuart, was um, the new one by Bill Callahan. It's called Reality, or it's possibly called Waitilia, as it's reality written backwards. <laughs> it's the it's it's the singer songwriter's twenty second studio LP, if I've got my calculations right. Um, and also, very conveniently, continues this episode's theme of hour-long records, um, as well yeah. as just as Dope Smoker is an hour-long record. Callahan himself said, this is a record that addresses the current climate. It's intended to rouse people, rouse their love, their kindness, their anger. Listening to it takes one hour. An hour sounds like a year to me these days, taking an hour of someone's life, and I blame the internet. But an hour is actually lovely. It's nothing, and it's a lifetime. You have to live that lifetime through in order to appreciate the hour. I'm not suggesting people must listen to this record all the way through in one sitting, though it is sequenced for that particular purpose, in case anyone wants to. Okay, let's hear a fraction of that hour. This is Coyotes by Bill Callahan, written by Bill Callahan, and released on Drag City Records. They say never wait. Dreamer, maybe that's how we die. I realize now the dreams are real. Andrew, I mean, I've always struggled to find a Bill Callahan record I didn't like. I, you know, I should be honest about that now. But one of the great things about Bill is that there's never a sense with him that his best work is behind him. I'm always excited when there's a new big Bill Callahan record because, you know, it's not like everything he does is wildly different, that nothing could be further from the truth. But, you know, like Lowe and like Mogwai too, Stuart, no, you know, it's, um, there's, you know, you don't go into it thinking, well, it's not going to be as good as it was 10 years ago. You know, just there isn't ever that sense with him. And reality is a, a really good one. It's just great. I mean, that, that quote that you were reading out, Andrew, it's a very um, unusual starting point for a Bill Callahan record, that sort of benevolent idea that Bill is here to, you know, in the past, you might have thought that if Bill was examining humanity, it was with an eye to dissecting us. It wasn't <laughs> necessarily to cheer us up and, you know, make us feel better. And that's exactly what the aim of this record was, according to the author and it certainly works I mean it's not without edge far from it there's a lovely um one of my favorite songs is called 
every way and it has this nice rhyming lyric i feel something coming on a disease or a song which is a very bill that, callahan lyric, that is a very it? bill callahan lyric yeah and then almost immediately he says we warmed our hands in the corpse of a horse it's <laughs> <laughs> that possibly a wild horse that edge is is something that I kind of really value in him. Um, Stuart, yeah. what is your relationship with Bill Callahan's music? And I suppose the records that he made under his, what we might now refer to as his darker incarnation, Smog. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 a big fan of Bill. Um, I actually have a framed picture of him in my house, <laughs> uh, which I, I I hadn't thought about for a while. Then I was like, I'm, I'm talking about Bill Callahan. There's a picture of him. Um, some of his records are some of my favourite records of all time, with, without a doubt. Um, uh, some of the Smog records, one or two of his solo ones. And I don't know if, if it's to do with where I am in my life or where he is in his life, but they don't all connect in the same way. Um, so I had a little bit of trepidation about about listening to this because I certainly would never want to um, seem like I wasn't being nice about someone whose music's really meant an awful lot to me over the years. But I actually really, really did like this record. And I, I think one of the things I liked about it was the simplicity. I found sometimes some of his his music has got more complicated over the years. And I think maybe maybe because I was weaned on Spaceman 3, I kind of, as, as uh, the more complicated music is, the, the <laughs> less I can I connect with it, um, which is which is a me problem, not a Bill problem. Um, but yeah, the, I actually found this a really, really warm, funny, good record. And I actually... There was one song in particular which I can't uh, go to because the uh, this app will crash if I cro- if I close it. <laughs> but um, it reminded me a little of the smog song, "The Orange Glow of a Stranger's Living Room," which is one of my favourite ones from the the Kicking a Couple Around EP. Yeah, uh, which mm-hmm. if anyone hasn't heard, is really really special record. And um, yeah, I, I like it. I like I, I like. I like the fact that he's not standing still. He's yeah. he's making mm-hmm. he's he's making a different record every time. There's, go back to ambience. There's something quite ambient about this record. There's something mm-hmm. quite jammy. There was yeah. a real kind of sense of a group of people who like playing together, enjoying playing the songs, and um, yeah, it it, mm. it 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 felt quite relaxing. It had that kind of, um, it's a lot of that kind of lead guitar, sort of mm-hmm. um, like Third Velvet Underground album style, just almost like meandering, but in a good way, constantly. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Now, so there's that great track Planets, isn't there, which at the end just becomes a kind of extended improv. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. That's one of my favorite songs on it and then there's the sort of pony trot you know pop song that's what's it, uh, natural information you know yeah. the other single yeah <laughs> and i think that sense of bill moving towards being a collaborator is really interesting because obviously 
especially yeah. with the early smog stuff and that you know that there was always that sense of him as a loner an outsider someone who would stand apart from the group so it goes back exactly back to what you were both saying that he is an artist who fascinates because of the way he continues to evolve and grow um right record two is my choice this is um i would imagine you would pronounce it this is i by <laughs> lucretia dalt uh, which is out on the revenge international label now um probably an artist who's maybe less well known to mojo readers and listeners than bill callahan she's an experimental electronic musician and sound artist from columbia she's based in berlin she's been making music since 2011 she's worked with people like um erin dillaway from wolf eyes and she's maybe best known in the uk for her film soundtracks that have been released through the Invada label, much like some of Mogwai's records. Her music is kind of, it encompasses everything from the terrifying to the gorgeous. And I think this might be maybe her most accessible and beautiful album yet. It's, it's described as an autobiographical record. It's informed by the sounds and records of her childhood. So you've got bits of mambo and salsa and merengue and champetta in there. But it's also about percussion, but it's also there's a theme running through it that is about science fiction and philosophy. So it's still resolutely weird. Um, and much like Dope Smoker, it's an album about altered states and creating a musical world that allows for those altered states. The track that we're going to hear is No Tiempo, uh, which is the opening track. Um, it was written and performed by Lucretia Dalt, released on Revenge International Records. And it gives you a nice feel of the kind of dreamlike, the sensual, but also the hallucinatory and strange world that she creates. Have you come across um, Lucretia Dalt's work before? As, I mean, as a fellow film composer, you're both on the Invada label. She's obviously she worked she's worked through with Wolf Eyes, who I think you've been a fan of in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, someone you're familiar with? I, I wasn't overly familiar, although very recently I heard a song by hers on the radio, and I stopped to Shazam it because I liked it so much. <laughs> So I was really excited to hear this record. Um, and it's a really, really interesting record. The composition is is really unusual. It's an, an amazing mix of very traditional sounds and arrangements and very unusual and discordant melodies. Um, so it's, it's, it's familiar yet very odd at the same time um her singing's really beautiful but i, I don't speak mm -hmm. spanish so i, I kind of I, I would love to have known and this is again a me problem not a lucretia dalt problem but I, I i would i would have loved to know what she was singing um so I'd, I'd like to see a translation of the lyrics but yeah it's a really really interesting record and a really ambitious record yeah and definitely enjoyed it but that that track we've just heard, one thing that occurred to me, Stuart, was that the, there's lovely um, woodwind on there. 
and uh, which made me think of your, you know, your favourite Bardo Pond always in used a flute, yeah. very psychedelic effect, didn't they? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Isabel, yeah, she she she, she, yeah. she played the flute and still plays the flute. So yeah, it's um, and and almost the the description of it, like like you said, Andrew, with the with the sci-fi and the ch- childhood, it kind of it kind of resonated with me. So almost I wanted to know m- more about it. I um I noticed she's on the the cover of the new wire, so I might check that out and kind of find find out about a bit more about the the music mm-hmm. from from her. I will. I will drop a line as well to the label and see if I can get you. Um, if they can sort of, if they've got any sort of translated lyrics, because I didn't even make that connection, which shows you how good I am at this of the of childhood and sci-fi and spaceships, which of course is right at the heart of her record and also at the heart of your book as well. Yeah, yeah. So we've probably got a, a, a bunch in common, although coming from literally the other side of the world, and um. Yeah, no, it's it, 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 it's great. Really, really good. Maybe she's also seen a UFO, Stuart, like what you have. Well, yeah. there's tons and tons in South America. That's a big hotspot. Ah, oh, of course, yeah. It's where the um, the giant telescope is, or the very big telescope, which you also know all about. <laughs> I don't know all about. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> maybe, maybe you could get um, Invada to connect the two of you up and you can kind of, you know, have a think about collaborating on something about spaceships and childhood. And uh, yeah, yeah. the parallels between, you know, that and it's very different in sound, but, you know, again, that sense of her creating a kind of a, a space altering and time altering world for you to kind of immerse yourself in, which is, mm-hmm. you know, incredibly similar to, to the sleep album. Yeah. Gang, it's been, an absolute joy to talk to you both today. To remind you, you've been listening to Stuart Braithwaite. You've also been listening to Mojo Associate Editor Jenny Bully <laughs> and myself, Andrew Mayle, with and many things. Oh, you have also been listening to Jenny's two rabbits who she refuses to name lest they, <laughs> uh, lest, lest fame go to their head. I don't want to uh, encourage them. If I was yeah. to start speaking their names now, they'd be over here. Yeah. But they, you know, they create, we should thank them really because they can created this kind of immersive drone <laughs> through, <laughs> throughout the podcast that was perfectly in keeping with both sleep and the more experimental work of uh, Lucretia Dalton Wolfeye. So thank you. Thank you, Nameless Rabbits. Many thanks to our producer, Suze Bowerman. That was the Mojo Record Club, and we hope to see you at the next one. Look in the episode description for full details of all the tracks we played today. Thank you for listening to the Mojo Record Club. Extra parts recorded in Dominic's house.